Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. Now, it's been described as the feel-good romance we all need right now. What's Love Got to Do With It was written and produced by filmmaker Jemima Khan, and it's largely inspired from her life and experiences in Pakistan. Centering around the parallel worlds of modern dating and arranged marriages, the film stars Lily James, Shazad Latif and Emma Thompson, and is in Irish cinemas from this Friday. And Jemima Khan joins me now. Good morning, Jemima. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much. And listen, I have to say, I went to see it the other night with my producer, Cora, and the entire cinema seemed to love it. Everyone was laughing. Did you have as much fun making it? We definitely did. We felt incredibly fortunate because actually it was made during probably the worst period of COVID, the second really brutal lockdown in the UK. And we were very lucky, even though there were all the conditions in place for filming under COVID, which did, you know, Mm. there were a lot of restrictions and limitations. We still, you know, it was just, it, it was a joy to work with all of that incredible talent. Now, as I said, your film, it centres around these parallel worlds of modern dating, arranged marriages. For people who haven't seen it yet, tell our listeners a little more about it. Um, well, I would say it's um, it's about how to find love in that it looks at the different ways that you might find lasting love in the modern world from two extremes, arranged marriage through to uh dating apps and it's about neighbours who grew up together Lily James's character and Shazad Latif's ca- uh, character Kaz and they meet again as adults and he's decided to have an arranged marriage and she's a documentary maker and she cannot understand this decision that he's taken and so she goes on a journey filming him on that journey to marry a stranger. It's brilliantly cast, of course. Look, we've got Lily James playing Zoe, the main female lead. Shazad Latif, he's amazing as the male lead. And Emma Thompson playing her mum. Where did you find some, I suppose, of the lesser known characters? Certainly, I suppose, in our Western world, like, like the grandmother. She was fab. Um, she's amazing and she was an absolute fluke what actually happened was we were days from having from shooting and again as I said it was the Covid uh, period and it was a strict lockdown and the woman who was originally uh, cast to play the grandmother dropped out because her her parents um, sorry her children said that it was too dangerous to film during Covid and they didn't want her to be in that environment and so we were left without a grandmother I didn't dare tell the studio at the last minute that we didn't have a grandmother for the role and so I emailed the entire cast and said does anyone know anyone who could play this role and Jeff Mirza who plays the dad who's hilarious emailed me back and said I think I know someone here's a video and he sent a quite random video of this woman singing but we were so desperate I was like right she's got the part she's in (laughs) we're filming in two days and he didn't tell us that she'd a never acted before and b she was his mother (laughs) but she did brilliantly and she has become sort of a little bit of a star in the she certainly gets some of the biggest laughs in the cinema yeah and and she did when we went the other night and I mean of course you've worked as a journalist Jemima you've produced many award-winning news documentaries but was this something of a departure for you this kind of movie yeah it was because I normally make quite serious documentaries true crime I, I'm a producer and I, I, I make kind of real life stories or whatever and this was you know this is essentially a, a, 
as as you've described it, a feel-good rom-com. So it definitely was the first time I've ever written anything and certainly it's the first time that I've ever produced something in this genre. So, And I noticed the other night when we were in the Dublin cinema, there were many people there from the Pakistani and Indian community here in our city in Dublin. And I think, I felt, Annie, the film was unusual and that it's one of the few in which I found Muslims are depicted as the good guys in a positive light. Uh, well, I'm glad that you um, spotted that because I definitely was reacting when I started writing the film, reacting to my Pakistani friends who had lamented the fact that they are always portrayed as the bat- shady baddies in films. And I very much wanted to show a different Pakistan that's maybe more kind of colourful and joyful and less threatening and... Um, there are no terrorists in this film. This is a um, multicultural story. I think probably uh, it's arguable whether it, you know, the our director always says it's not a rom-com, it's a family drama. You know, it, it, you can call it whatever you want, but it's definitely um, celebra- a celebration of Pakistan where I lived for 10 years Um and I was married there. I have half Pakistani, half British children. And it's a celebration, hopefully, of Pakistanis. And we've got amazing musical talent. And, I, yeah, the soundtrack and the score, which was um, created by Nitin Sawney and Naughty Boy, who are amazing uh, talent in the UK. And, and, and some of my favorite musicians from Pakistan also performed uh, for the film and in, in the on the track. So it, it, it's been a... It's been an amazing journey. And I think you've also described it in the past as almost a love letter to Pakistan, a celebration of a country that you clearly love. Yeah, I mean, politics aside, (laughs) um, Mm. I have to always caveat it with that. Um, I experience enormous hospitality and warmth and love in Pakistan and um, uh, outside of the kind of murky world of of politics, which uh, my ex husband was involved with, um, and so yeah, I wanted to um, maybe you know show a, a, as I said a more surprising uh, Pakistan than we usually see on our screens, and um, yeah, and and hopefully it, we've had we've had a really heartwarming um, a reaction from the British Asian community and. And, and from my Pakistani friends. And so that's been uh, that's been lovely to see. Because it's really funny, actually. And interestingly, some of the funniest lines, you know, they also deliver a very meaningful message, like even about boarding airplanes and how you have to leave a lot of time when you're traveling with someone. Uh, yeah, that came out of uh, traveling with my sons who have Pakistani names, non-anglicized Pakistani names, so Qasim and Suleiman Khan. And I sort of began to notice that we had to leave extra time so we could allow for random <laughs> selection. Uh, and um, and I, I realized that I didn't get pulled off and checked, you know, when we're transiting in America and miss our, our flights, but they did. And um, yeah, so I think I think it's possible behind laughs to say something meaningful. And I think sometimes you can... Sometimes the meaning lands more impactfully if you're doing it with a smile rather than a, mm. you know, a truncheon. Absolutely. Do your sons like the movie? Have they seen it? Uh, that was the best moment for me was showing them. I was terrified and I mm. thought, and they're not your usual rom-com audience. As sort of, <laughs> they're 
boys in their 20s um, and they did I could hear them laughing which was good and then afterwards I saw that they cried a little bit and they said they were really proud and I think they've seen me working on it for such a long time it's taken me over 10 years to get to this point so I think that um, yeah they they've res- they say they love it and I actually believe them <laughs> That's so nice, actually. And I suppose you mentioned it was made during COVID. Were there a lot of challenges making it? I suppose you had to travel between London and Lahore a lot, didn't you? There, there was, I mean, COVID is, it was it was very challenging. I mean, we even got shut down. There's a moment in the movie, without wanting to give anything away, where someone says the lines, says the line, uh, can we talk? And... I always want to sort of shout out a heckle, I've got COVID, because that was the moment where he infected, the guy infected the person he was talking to, and we shut, the movie shut down then for a week. Um, wow. And yeah, it meant that travel was restricted, and, um, you know, it, was, it definitely, luckily we had very experienced production team who kind of managed the sort of day-to-day challenges, but um, yeah it definitely affected us. It, we we had to have a six-month hiatus in the middle. Um, and, yeah. We all assume, I suppose, in the world, we've got to fall hopelessly in love randomly and that arranged marriages or assisted marriages can't work. But do you think that's right? Have you, did you change your mind when you lived in Pakistan? Yeah, I did. I lived in my ex-husband's joint family household with his... Uh, father and his sisters and their husbands and their children who later on grew up and had arranged marriages and they'd all had arranged marriages there were no love marriages what they call love marriages in in his family right the way through from you know the the aunts and uncles who'd met on the wedding day through to assisted marriage where the children had been introduced by their parents and you know encouraged to get to know and decide themselves and I genuinely you lived with you live with people it's hard to hide if you're actually living in the same house Uh, and I genuinely saw some very happy arranged or assisted marriages Um, and I did actually you know it did cause me to reflect on i mean you know if we're letting an algorithm uh, select for us why not also consider letting the person who kind of knows us best and loves us most have a go at selecting too um you know and um so i came back to the uk and my friends were in their early 30s and we would have a conversation when they were sort of thinking about settling down and having kids and we'd we'd often say okay if this were an arranged marriage who would you who would who would be chosen for you and would that work and that kind of started that was sort of the premise for the script it was like what would happen if I were in my 30s hadn't had the backstory that I have had and I deferred to somebody else to make this decision for me and and the idea kind of grew from there it's really interesting. I mean, it was funny in your film as well, which I loved that at the beginning, I thought the assisted arranged marriage without giving anything away might be the answer. But you didn't rule out just falling in love randomly either. No, because I think, look, I'm not here to kind of judge that one way is better or one way is worse. But I think there's something interesting in the idea of walking into love rather than falling into love. The idea of simmer then boil and you know, I, I mean, I can say personally, I've definitely been ruined on a on a diet of rom-coms growing up. Um, and, you know, I think we do kind of have these expectations of a sort of, you know, of a love that's going to complete us and that is, you know, almost takes the place of religion in its... Um, 
you know, mythological, uh, uh, grand status. And I, I think there's, you know, so there's something in between passion and pragmatism where, where, which I think this film is looking at that that's kind of interesting. But that's not to say that that I'm not a romantic. I, I'm both part cynic, part romantic. Really interesting. And also, I suppose it happens a bit, doesn't it? Because we all know when people get to their 30s or even older, we often try to matchmake people, you know, don't we? Like, oh, bring someone to a dinner because you think they will suit someone. So maybe it happens in its own way in our society. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, I I, I think stepping back from... uh, the instant love at first sight expectation and sort of you know mm-hmm. there's something interesting in in a more, in, in a slower look at, at at what might be what might be right for you if you'd had an arranged marriage who do you think your parents might have chosen for you well, the, the, I mean, I should probably say the fortunate thing for me is my parents would never have been able to agree um, <laughs> because they came from... I come from a long, long line in, in unsuitable matches. Um, my Both my parents eloped the first time they got married, which is why maybe I'm so interested in this as a sort of theme because um, they also both got divorced from those people. And um, I, I obviously did the opposite of an arranged marriage. And... Um, yeah, but anyway, I I I'm not sure my parents would would have been the go-to to pick functional sane people, but um but it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. Interesting, the divorce rates in the UK, they're much lower with assisted marriages. I mean, is there something from that we could learn? Yeah, I mean, they are. They're much much lower. Um and uh you know, you you can argue you know, the other point of view is that, it, you know, there's also more stigma in those communities where arranged marriage happens, there's more stigma to divorce. But um, but equally, um, I think that expectations are slightly different. And I think there's, you know, I, I really do like this idea that you don't start with love, you end with love through kind of mutual, uh, over time, becoming more compatible. Mm. And I know Princess Diana was a friend of yours and you've spoken of how partly she inspired the film. How so? But there was definitely a nod to her in the film. So there is a moment because Princess Diana um, came to visit me in Pakistan several times in the year before um, she very sadly died mm-hmm. and was a close friend. And she was dating a Pakistani doctor and uh, and she'd had an arranged marriage effectively when she got married um, as a very young woman and I think I sort of included that for two reasons one because she's so adored in Pakistan and I know she's adored she was adored everywhere but she really a whole country fell in love with her in that last year because she did a lot of very um, she did a lot of amazing charity work there Um, and and also just to show that arranged marriage isn't just particular to one community or, you know, or one ethnicity or one religious group. It is, you know, our own royal family used to, you know, practice mm. arranged marriage until relatively recently. And it's still the norm in most of the world. If you look at the kind of global statistics, more people have arranged marriages than not in today's world, which is a weird thought given how alien a concept it does feel to most people growing up in the West.
And I know because you are a very experienced script writer and you were brought in to help script, I think, Jemima, the fifth series of the Netflix series, The Crown, which of course included the years leading up to Diana's death. You did pull out. Do you mind if I ask you why? There are there are challenges um, making shows about either people, you know, in my case that I was very that I was close to um, and love very much, but also, you know, about people who are alive. I made the um, impeachment story about the Monica Lewinsky uh, uh, impeachment scandal with Bill Clinton, mm. and we did the documentary, and then we did the drama series, and. Uh, Honestly, I, I don't think we would have done that if Monica had not been an executive producer on it and had benefited from it financially. I think in the in in the today's world, it's hard to not involve the central protagonist, particularly if there's been if it's about you know to some mm. extent about ex, you know the exploitation of women or the mistreatment of women in some way. I think to then. You know, in Monica's case, I would have felt extremely uncomfortable making the show about how she was treated back then without allowing her, you know, to have creative and financial involvement in that show. Um, so, you know, it's a difficult one. And you got Monica Lewinsky. I think she opened up for the first time about her relationship with Bill Clinton. I know you became good friends after she clearly trusted you so much. But you've also said you were both, I think, used as political pawns. What did you mean by that? Um, well, we we became friends. I always make shows and documentaries about things that kind of resonate with me particularly and personally. Otherwise, you know, I'm a, I only have a very small production company and it means that I have to engage with that for such a long time. I just don't do it unless I really care about the subject matter. But I hadn't made the really obvious parallels with Monica. I hadn't, hadn't connected the dots until actually quite a long way into filming um, and getting to know her. And we then realised that we had both been threatened with jail by political opponents in order to bring down the men, much older politicians that we had been associated with. And it was interesting because we were exactly the same age and it was exactly the same time. Um, and so, yeah, both of us got sort of, um, I, I, th I think, you know, in, in my case, I'll, I'll talk from my own point of view, um, I, you know, there is a very specific um, scrutiny that comes from being, you know, the consort of a, of a public figure, but particularly a politician, and particularly in a country like Pakistan. And it's been, you know, well documented that my, um, that my Jewish background and my Jewish maiden name um, became really really problematic uh, in Pakistan and was used as a sort of, you know, it was, I, I became very much the sort of Achilles heel of my ex-husband. I mean, I, I'm 25% Jewish in the UK and I always say I'm 225% <laughs> Jewish in Pakistan for the purposes of the political opponents that attack me because of it. Interestingly, in the past, you often said, you know, you were almost discussed exclusively in the context of your name or your attachment to high status men, whether it's Goldsmith or Cam. But now, with the success of this film and the other projects you've been involved in, do you feel your work has now separated you from them? Um, I, I think it, it's it's 
I, I think I was talking the what you're referring to is me um, talking very specifically about you know the men in my life and and all the, you know often those men have been political like my father my brother my ex-husband have all been in politics and I think my frustration doesn't come so much with the association because I understand the association it's kind of an easy thing mm. to do if you I'm a, I'm a former journalist I'd do exactly the same thing it's more the assumption that my political views would necessarily be exactly the same as theirs just by virtue of the association which feels um uh which feels a bit annoying and reductive to go back to the movie, there's a great scene where the characters are flying from London to Lahore. One or two are quite nervous on the flight, but I gather you're not a fan of flying. And why not? <laughs> there's a specific reason, isn't there? Yeah, I was in a plane that got um, hi hijacked. Um, a madman tried to suicide crash a British Airways flight I was on in 2001. I was on board with my children and he got uh, hold of the, um, he jumped into the cockpit seat, got hold of the controls and tried to suicide crash the plane. We fell 20,000 feet and um, it was only thanks to the pilot who managed to, who was having a rest and managed to make it back up to the cockpit who had been watching a National Geographic uh show, a, a program with his son the night before about sharks and they said the vulnerable point on a shark is the eye or maybe he even made that up but he basically couldn't get this man had the literal strength of the insane insane and couldn't get dislodged the guy from from the the seat and he pulled him out by the the eye thus gouging his eye out and in the process uh had his own thumb and his ear bitten off so it was all very very dramatic and he to his great credit came on the tannoy immediately and said in tears a bad man's tried to kill us all, but we're all right now. And then about five minutes later, he went, this is your captain, Captain Hagen, we'll be travelling on to Nairobi, <laughs> completely composed again. Um, so it was quite, yes, yeah, so I, for years I couldn't fly. Um, I found it really, really hard to fly, and I would take trains if it was Europe, and I have now finally got over my fear, and I managed to fly to Australia to promote the film, so yay. That's brilliant. Look, as we come to the end, <laughs> that in itself is an incredible story about that flight. Um, post What's Love got to do with it. Are there other stories you're keen on exploring now, ones you're already focusing on? Um, I definitely like to write again. I've got several um, things that I've produced coming out this year. We've got episode five of our case against Adnan Saeed, about the, which mm. is based on the serial podcast about, about um, that Pakistani-American boy who was jailed. Uh, for the killing of his girlfriend. It became quite a kind of sensation through Serial. Got another yeah. uh, true crime documentary and then I'll be writing. Yeah, I'm I'm plotting my next thing to write. Well, look, what's love got to do with it is in Irish cinemas from Friday. And all I can say is having seen it, if you want a really good laugh, you've got to run to it and watch it. Jemima <laughs> Khan, thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. Thank you. And congrats on a great film. Thank you so much.